Hey, you are listening to When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship in the arts. My name is Todd Sullivan. With me this week is no one at all. In this episode, I am going to be talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. have you here it's been uh it's been a few weeks uh things have been kind of kind of a bit crazy schedule wise i meant to have the uh the recorded version of our live episode up last week that didn't happen obviously because uh there was a glitch at podbean when we did the actual live broadcast and they were not able to record uh, the live episode so um that is an episode that uh is one and done if you were there and you heard it, uh, then you heard it. And if not, you never will. I'm sorry to say uh, it's lost to the sands of time. But we did have a caller from Jerusalem, which was pretty exciting. Uh, we talked briefly about um, a bureaucracy. which didn't have a lot to do with, uh, you know, our look at children's books, but uh, did come up uh, as part of our conversation around the little prince but yeah, it was a it was a wrap up of our of what we called our summer reading program, uh, doing uh, four children's books over the summer, um, and now that's gone. Uh, but here we are; it's a brand new week, brand new episode, and uh, as I said, I'm here by myself, which is a little bit different and a little bit nervous for me. Um, but we're just gonna see how it goes. Why am I by myself? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, Oren is, uh, has got some stuff on his plate in his personal life. And, uh, unfortunately he, that has meant he's going to have to take a hiatus from the podcast for a little while, but, uh, hopefully we'll have him back soon. And hopefully, you know, uh, he, uh, he takes care of himself and, uh, and is well in what he's doing and we will miss him until he returns. Uh, we love you, Oren. Um, until Lauren comes back, though, uh, we're going to be trying a few different things with the podcast. Um, well, I mean, not necessarily different things. This is obviously different, uh, trying to do a, a solo uh, podcast. And this is probably going to be the only one that I do. But it is it is kind of an experiment just to see uh, if I'm able to pull this off by myself without having someone else to talk to, bounce things off of. And I suspect it's not going to be as strong as some of our other, other episodes, but... What are you going to do? It's worth a try, right? Um, I'm also lining up uh, some uh, guests for a future episode. So uh, in the future, you can expect uh, myself and Dave Colmine, who you may recognize as uh, an occasional guest here. And also, uh, he is the producer of another podcast I'm on, which is called um, uh, Mysteries and Madness. I was getting confused because I was just thinking about Myths and Mysteries, which is something else I did recently. But uh, no, uh, Dave is the producer of Mysteries and Madness, uh, which you may be familiar with. He's uh, uh, dropped in as a guest here a few times, and we are actually going to be doing a short book 
uh, together uh, at some point in the future. We're going to be reading of mice and men. So that's exciting. That's a book I've never read before. And it is also one of those books that's very frequently uh, up there on the list of frequently banned books. And it is super short. I think it's like under 200 pages, um, maybe even less than that. Um, so we're going to we're going to do that one. Uh, Carlo is going to be dropping by who you might know again for guesting here at least once <clears throat> again for guesting here uh, at least once. Um, and he's also my co-host over on uh, Half Cut Conspiracies. Uh, he's probably going to drop in. Maybe we'll do a movie. Um, maybe we'll do a couple of movies because it is it's nearly October. It probably is October by the time this episode comes out. Um, so we're, we're right in the middle of spooky movie season. Um, so maybe this movie that we're talking about today, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, might might be uh, sort of our first official entry into our October um, our October look at horror films because we all know if you're a band movie, odds are you're probably a horror film or you're some kind of weird sex movie that was made in Paris. Uh, not naming any names, but I'm looking at you, Marlon Brando. Um, anything? Well, normally this is when I would say, hey, Oren, what are you drinking? Or what's new with you? But he's not here. So I'll just confess that I am drinking. I have a, uh, I have a vodka and a blackberry lemonade mix. Kind of a thing I mixed at home with my own vodka, with my own uh, blackberry lemonade Mio type stuff, and then a bunch of water. Um, yeah, it's, it's tasty. It's getting the job done. I thought about uh, maybe having coffee and Bailey's, but uh, sadly, my I'm out of instant coffee at this moment, and I didn't really feel like leaving the house just to get a coffee. And I'm always reluctant uh, to have a coffee too late in the evening, and it is currently uh, 6.35. So this is probably past the point that I would normally, you know, have a cup of coffee. It's getting a little late. It's going to keep me up. Uh, unless I guess I put a sub, sub, substantial amount of Baileys in it, and then uh, it might help uh, balance that out. But um, it's not what I did today. That's kind of about all that's new with me, uh, besides having delivered the uh, the finished version of Half Cut Myths and Mysteries to Tell a Story Hive. That was a documentary project that we were working on for a couple of months uh, in the summer. Uh, it's going to be available on Telus Optic TV in the fall, um, and it's uh, yeah we poked around the ghost hunting community here in Kamloops, interviewing a few local ghost hunters, and then uh, myself and, and Carlo were off on an actual ghost hunt in the Sagebrush Theater here in Kamloops, which is home to a, a spirit that is affectionately known as Albert, and uh, I'll I'll I'll, I'll I'll let the episodes illustrate whether we were successful in our ghost hunt. I don't want to spoil anything, so you'll have to be sure to check those out. Uh, and if you don't have Telesoptic TV, I believe they will be available on YouTube uh, at some point after that, after they premiere. Um, and you can find out more about when that's happening by tuning in here uh, or Africa Conspiracies or, uh, yeah, those are probably good sources of information. That probably does it for our preamble. So, having said that, let's uh, let's dig into 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, this is this is one of my favorite horror films of all time. Uh, I, I normally say that I have like a, a top three list of horror films uh, that all kind of are interchangeable depending on a given day as far as my my favorite horror films. There's this one. Um, there's Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And then there is um, The Exorcist. Uh, and those are sort of, depending on the day, I could pick any one of those as as my favorite horror film. And I was lucky enough... Uh, I've obviously seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a number of times, but uh, and of course, you know, it, it, it came out in 1974, uh, which is one year after I was born. And in fact, it was set uh, on October, I believe, 18th, 1973, which is six days after I was born. So, uh, you know, assuming that we believe that this is a true story, which, uh, spoiler alert, it isn't, but if we accept that it is, <laughs> that means that the events that occur in this film actually happened when I was six days old. Uh, the point, though, that I had uh, was that I have never seen this film in the theater and until this year. Um, in August of this year, the Countless Film Society and uh, Drunken Graveyard, another local podcast, um, put together a screening of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the Paramount theater in Kamloops. And, uh, again, this is, you know, they've, they've been consistently bringing in, uh, classic, uh, horror films. Uh, I've now seen, uh, John Carpenter's the thing and George Romero's uh, night of the living dead, uh, both classic horror films. I've now had a chance to finally see those on the big screen as well. Thanks to the, uh, Kamloops film society and drunk in a graveyard. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, coming up in October, I believe October 22nd, um, they're going to be screening the original Halloween by John Carpenter, which I am so stoked to be able to see because that's another probably top five, top ten horror film for me and uh, one that I've only ever seen on small screens. And so once again, you know, being able to sort of catch these films on the big screen is incredibly exciting. But um, let's move away from, you know, what my experience of it on the screen was like and, and talk about the film, which came out in 1974. Uh, it was produced and directed by Toby Hooper and um, based on a story and screenplay by uh, Hooper and Kim Henkel. Uh, it was produced for less than $140,000 uh, at that time. Uh, which, according to Wikipedia, uh, can be adjusted to seven hundred thousand uh, dollars, given inflation. But it's still, it's still a pretty low budget film when you consider it. And one of the things that I think is really surprising about this movie, particularly because uh, it has been banned, is that there is almost no visible gore. In this film. And it was intentional. Uh, Toby Hooper was hoping to release a PG rated film. Um, because even in the 1970s, you know, the directors acknowledged that when you went to an R rated horror film, and admittedly in the 70s and 80s, that was far more common, but in doing that, you are cutting out a portion of your audience. There is some people that aren't going to be able to get in to see it. And so obviously, 
the more tickets you can sell, the more potential to be profitable. And so he wanted to have a film that was PG. And so he shot it with very little visual gore. But because it was so intense and so, like, in your face in so many ways, even without the gore, your brain filled in the gaps of what wasn't on the screen. You would walk away from that movie thinking, wow, I saw so many terrible things just because of, you know, maybe the name of the film, the amount of running and screaming, because believe me, uh, this film does have a lot of running and screaming and uh, and chainsaw buzzing in it. Um, but with all of that, you almost convince yourself that you see more than you did. Uh, but there really isn't much there. In spite of that, though, um, this film was banned in... Uh, hang on, I must find my, my information here. Um, it was banned in Brazil, France, Germany, Australia, Finland, Norway... Great Britain, Sweden, and Singapore. Those were all places where it was banned from 1974 um, to a later date. Uh, according to this, Brazil, it might still be banned. Uh, in 1976, it was banned in Ottawa, where two theaters were advised by local police to withdraw the film lest they face morality charges. Uh, and from 1985 to 1999, in Iceland, it was banned for high level of violence, although a censored version was released. Um, so that's that's actually a pretty substantial amount of banning for a film that is, I can't say that it's tame. Because it's it's not. It it has definitely well, maybe we should just talk about what the film is if you haven't seen it. Uh if you have seen it, you you know exactly what it is. Uh but if you haven't, it's a pretty simple movie. Uh it's a pretty short movie as well, I believe. Um, although it is one of those ones that can start to feel long. Yeah, it's eighty three minutes. That's that's pretty short. Um so it opens with this group of five kind of uh, hippie 20-somethings, uh, and they're, they're, they're driving to, well, they, they start off visiting a, a graveyard in, in Texas because one of them is there to look into uh, this grave, this problem with grave digging, people digging up graves, and, and it, was, it occurred to this one girl's, her, her grandfather, her, his grave had been sort of dug up and desecrated, and, and so they're checking on that. And while they're there, they decide to go and check out the grandfather's old house, which apparently is still owned by the family. They drive out there. Um, it's all kind of beat up and dilapidated. Um, but they're all a bunch of, you know, horny teenage types. So uh, every kind of pair kind of pairs up and, you know, one pair goes off to make out somewhere. Another pair goes off to the, uh, the, the, the swimming pool somewhere. And the fifth wheel, the guy in the wheelchair, who I guess literally is a fifth wheel, um, is left to sort of wheel around the house and complain about how nobody cares about him. Um, now, on their way out to the house, they stop at a, a gas station 
um, that is apparently out of gas. And so they're in this position where they, they're low on gas. They're, they, they might have to wait until the next day for gas to arrive at this gas station. But then at the same time, this couple that went out to the, uh, to the swimming hole, they see in the distance, they hear um, like a sound. And as they get closer, they realize it's a generator and that the generator is running on gas. So they think, hey, let's maybe see if uh, these this fine this fine family here will hook us up with some fuel and we can come back and, and, and pay them back later as long as we can just, you know, get enough to get to the next gas station. Now, unfortunately, uh, this isn't the kind of house that is particularly uh, inviting to unwelcome guests. So as our man uh, walks into the house looking for someone who might help or offer some gas, he is instead met with a, um, a sledgehammer to the back of the head, uh, where uh, whereupon he drops to the ground like a sack of potatoes, um, starts kind of uh, having a bit of a seizure there, as you might after being bashed on the back of the head by a sledgehammer. Uh, and then he's carted away into the back by none other than Leatherface, the uh, the very famous um, horror franchise character who's, in a, I mean, he's the, kind of the main antagonist in this, but, you know, he's also part of a bigger family. But it, it, it's not surprising that that character is the one that stood out from uh, the rest of them in the film because he, he is pretty unique, which is to say, uh, he wears the skins of his victims on his face. Um, thus, Leatherface. Um, and it does seem like he's got a few different kind of looks. Like he's got like the formal skin. He's got a casual skin. He's always kind of mixing the, the skins up and always looking for new skins as well, which is um, you know some of what will happen with uh, some of the people in this story. Um after he disappears, um, that fellow's, not Leatherface, of course, after the man uh, infiltrating the house disappears, uh, the girlfriend gets the sense that uh, her man has been away for too long, and so she goes into the house to poke around a little bit and see where he's gotten to, and uh, and she manages to investigate the house a little bit further, a little bit deeper than um, than he did. And so she stumbles into this area that's got like just tons of bones. It's um, it's a bit too much for her as she realizes what she's looking at and, and the kind of situation that she's in. And as she goes to uh, get back out of the house again, uh, Leatherface emerges from his, his back room, grabs her and pulls her back in, uh, slaps her on a meat hook as you do with someone you don't want uh, getting away from you. And then he goes back to chopping up her boyfriend with a chainsaw, um, presumably getting all that good meat off of him, even though it's not a traditional butcher weapon, or I shouldn't even say weapon. Butchers don't need weapons. Butchers need tools. Um, it's not a traditional butcher's tool, the chainsaw, as far as I know. But, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um... At some point, the um, the 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 able-bodied man who is back at the house 
with the rest of the group decides to go and see where the pair has disappeared to. Uh, he disappears as well, leaving um, just the um, the brother and sister who uh, whose family house it is. And uh, the, the, the brother who's in a wheelchair wants to go back to town, wants to get to the gas station and try to uh, contact help, which to me seemed like the more sensible idea, though, you know, we'll find out later that it probably wouldn't have helped much. Whereas uh, his sister wants to go stumbling into the woods looking for uh, the rest of their party who is missing. I would say personally that just, you know, stumbling into the darkness after three other people have vanished and you've heard no uh, response from them, no response to your, you know, hollering at them, honking the horn, any of this. I kind of think that's a bad idea, but. Unfortunately, um, the sister decides that's what she wants to do. And since uh, the fellow in the wheelchair isn't going to be able to drive the car by himself, he uh, he plunges along after her. Now, it's not long that they're in this darkness before they come across uh, Leatherface, uh, who is kind of goes from like being in the darkness to having like his chainsaw at, you know, zero to 60 uh, in like a second. Uh, but he comes out and he just slams that chainsaw right into the torso of the guy in the wheelchair. Just rah! and uh, it's it's a long it's a long scene where you got this chainsaw just chopping in this guy like Brrr! and this guy like Ugh! and his arms flailing around and the woman's like ah and it's back to the chainsaw like, and then the guy like ah and it just it goes on and on and on and even though. Even though there's no real blood to be seen, except by except for some spatter that's landing on uh, Leatherface's apron, there's really nothing to see here. Um, the the guy in the wheelchair is shot over the shoulder, so uh, you don't ever see the chainsaw actually entering him. You just sort of see the spatter on on Leatherface's apron, and then you see the woman screaming and freaking out, and then again it's over the shoulder. But it's the it's the idea. Right, it's the idea of what you're seeing, where your brain fills in those gaps that the film doesn't provide for you. You create that image of of blood spraying everywhere, even though it's not there. But it does go on for I feel like three or four minutes, which is probably longer than it actually does. But it just it feels like this goes on for a very long time. And at a certain point, uh, the woman just breaks, runs into the forest. Uh, and Leatherface takes off after her. And then we have a very long sequence of her running through the forest uh, and him chasing her. And it's just, it's chainsaw sound, brrr, it's woman screaming sound, ah! and it, it is it is loud. It is loud for, you know, a good solid 15, maybe 20 minutes. Um, just so much noise and intensity as this woman runs through the woods, um, then she gets to the, the Sawyer house and runs through the Sawyer house with Leatherface chasing her. Uh, and then she's out of the, the Sawyer house and back into the woods where she's chased by Leatherface again. And this goes on and on and on and on. And, and while it does begin to feel a bit much at times, I do want to say that there are some shots in the sequence that are just astounding. Like, my favorite shot of the film, 
uh, is this shot of 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 this woman madly running, uh, you know, a look of of absolute terror on her face, trying to get away from Leatherface. This and and behind her is is Leatherface, played by Gunnar Hansen. Um, and and he is just this massive, uh, this massive entity behind her, so much taller, so much thicker, so much so much more there. Like, and the way it's shot, like it's it's the two of them running directly at the camera. So you see her in front, and then and then behind her, you see this just this hulking, overwhelming mass that looks like it could just almost uh overwhelm her at any moment and and i think that really sells the terror that she's experiencing um that you you get that visual sense of just how big this this thing is that's chasing her down and just how vulnerable she is eventually she finds her way back to the gas station they visited earlier that night and uh, or that day and uh, the gas station attendant slash owner slash um, barbecue master is is still there and uh, he greets her and uh, wants to help. Unfortunately, his help seems to consist of um, slapping her with a broom a bunch of times and then tying her up and throwing her in the back of her, his truck. Because unfortunately, he's a part of this um, this cannibalistic murder family as well. And so now that she's tied up, uh, he he drives her back to um, his house, their house. Uh, on the way, he encounters the hitchhiker, which I didn't mention earlier. Uh, the group in the in the van when they're first coming to, to town, they do encounter this hitchhiker who's kind of crazy. Um, ends up cutting himself and then cutting another guy. And it's all just, it's a very weird messed up situation. Anyway, it turns out he's with the family too, of course. And, uh, and so, yeah, they encounter him on the driveway as, uh, as the, the gas station owner pulls in with the girl, the girl's tied up. They bring her into the house. Um, they prepare for, uh, for dinner where, uh, we see grandpa, who we encountered earlier in the film, uh, I believe when this final girl was running through the house, uh, chased by Leatherface, I think she bumped into Grandpa, and and it looked like he was dead. It looked like he was not among the living. His his skin was white and, and puffy, and uh, he didn't move, and he just looked like a corpse. But now... When it's dinner time, they cut, uh, they cut her finger or she gets her finger cut on something. I don't remember exactly how it happens, but she's bleeding. And so they, they put her finger in grandpa's mouth so he can consume the blood. And at that point, he does seem to start to move around very subtly, very subtly, just sort of like, uh, uh, and so little that, like, you could almost argue that that the other performers, the other actors in the scene, were actually like bumping the body to make the body move. I I remember seeing this film early on, maybe the first time I saw it, maybe the second time I saw it, 
and being convinced that uh, that Grandpa was was actually dead, uh, and then being confused by these later scenes where it's like, uh, is he is he dead? Is he not dead? Because in a little bit as well, they're gonna let Grandpa kill this last girl, and and because this family I, I think used to own uh, or at least work at a local slaughterhouse they know how how cattle are killed and they're going to do it the old fashioned way which is a smash on the back of the head with a hammer and so they've got her on her knees over like a a a bucket or a pail of some kind that her blood is going to go into and they give the hammer to grandpa and they, they help him to bring the hammer down on the back of her head. But he just drops the hammer on the ground because he's, you know, 125 years old. Maybe he's dead. We don't know. Um, but he's just, he's not good at hammering people in the back of the head anymore. Despite what we've been told by the rest of the family. Now, this goes on three or four, five times of him trying to smash her in the back of the head. And eventually she manages to like... um sort of get the better of those who are holding her down and push through them and run through uh, run through the window out of the house. She's in the driveway. She gets through the window. She gets back up on her feet. Uh, she's got that fight or flight, and very clearly it's in flight mode right now, and, and she bolts down the driveway. She gets to the end of the road. She's like, you know, she's being chased by Leatherface. She's being chased by, initially by, um, um, the hitchhiker from the beginning, uh, and she gets to the road and she's flagging down traffic. Uh, she manages to flag down a, a semi truck, um, gets into the semi truck, and then, and this, this kind of, it, it, I didn't follow this bit very well, but you know, they're in the semi truck, the doors are closed, Leatherface is chainsawing the door of the semi truck, and then instead of the semi truck driver driving away, which does seem like the best approach to me. Both the, the the truck driver and our final girl jump out of the passenger side of the truck and then just try to run down the road when, I'm sorry, like you're not going to go as fast as that truck was. And you probably would have been like that door would have protected you from the chainsaw for the, I don't know, five to ten seconds that it would take to get the truck up to speed, that Leatherface could no longer chase you. But, um, that's not what happened. So instead they got out, and uh, and they're running down the road, and then Leatherface is chasing them again. Um, I don't remember exactly how this happens, but at a certain point, Leatherface ends up getting knocked over onto the ground, and the chainsaw lands on his leg, and chops his leg up, which is, you know, some pretty cool uh, poetic vengeance there. Uh, and then as he gets up and starts limping down the road after his victims again, uh, another truck pulls up. This is just sort of a, um, a pickup truck. And it slows down and stops. And uh, our final girl jumps in the back. We uh, don't actually, to my knowledge, ever see what happens to the semi-truck driver. They're shown to just keep running past the truck 
as the truck drives away into the distance um, with the the woman uh, in the back. Again, this is a really really wonderful scene. The the, the scene of our final girl, our, our survivor of this ordeal, in the back of the truck. Um, in this mode of, it's hard to tell if she's if she's screaming in continued terror, or if she's laughing with the joy of finally getting away. But both of those feelings are very apparent in her performance. And again, it's a very, it's a very um, visceral and powerful moment. And then of course we have the iconic moment where uh, Leatherface does his little chainsaw dance, uh, lifts his chainsaw in the air, does his little twirly thing, rawr, rawr, wow. And then that's the end of the movie. Uh, oh, and fun fact, uh, the opening narration in this film that tells you that it's a true story, even though it's not, uh, is done by uh, John Larroquette, who is perhaps best known from the 1980s TV series Night Court. And I remember learning that in the 80s when uh, Night Court was on and thinking like, wow, that's crazy. John Larroquette is in this TV show and he just narrate. Well, how'd that happen? And it's just because I didn't realize at the time that sometimes actors aren't famous from the moment they start acting and sometimes they just have to take shitty little jobs and in, in this case I, I believe that the story is that uh john larroquette did the voiceover in exchange for some weed which i don't know i'd say that's a pretty good deal uh and that's the film um so like i said like there's a lot of there's a lot of intense moments there's a lot of intense moments there's a lot of intense visuals and it, it's all clearly effective um, because, you know, so many people, call, you know, consider this one of the most intense, one of the, the, the nastiest, one of the most overwhelming kind of horror movies of all time, even though when you get right down to it, there's so little of that actually on the screen. It's all, it's all done in your imagination. It's the, the, the power of filmmaking i guess and so in in the grand conversation of was this a film that deserved to be banned i gotta go with like a hard 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 no um because there's again because there's nothing there um i i gotta say again though actually i shouldn't say again i gotta say Another element that plays to the effect of the film is the the way it looks. Um, it's got a very obviously low budget. It was a low budget film, but it has a very almost documentarian style to it, where it almost feels like you're watching, you know, this 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 snuff tape that somebody dug up, and everyone like you feel the locations in the film like you feel the heat of the texas summer you feel the sweat on these these people you you just everything every part of this film feels so incredibly visceral and i think that is a large part of why people react to it the way they do and why that reaction leads to 
bannings, even though, again, nothing to see here. Now, this uh, film would uh, eventually spawn a franchise, including remakes, uh, reboots, reimaginings, just about anything you can throw a stick at. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was uh, also directed uh, and, I believe, written by Toby Hooper. And it's it's a whole other kind of beast. It's it's almost like it's almost more black comedy than it is horror film. Uh, and then there's a you know a part four that features uh, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, which is kind of a, a bonkers film. There's the remake with Jessica Alba. There's there's a whole franchise that has emerged out of this um, this kind of low budget random. Um, slasher film from 1974 that, uh, I mean, they even spelt the title wrong on their like original copyright forms and stuff. So it's like the Texas Chain Saw Massacre. Not Chainsaw, but Texas Chain Saw Massacre. So from from these kind of humble beginnings um, came... An unforgettable, um, iconic horror film that is, I think by many, loved to this day. And that was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Particularly thanks for, if you did, sticking through this weird uh, experimental episode of me hosting by myself. We've made it through to the other side. It still feels a little bit weird. Um, just not having anyone to bounce ideas off of, bounce questions off of. Feels almost more formal and less conversational because I'm just, it's just me, just blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but that's what this is. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, and if you didn't, um, Love some feedback on this. Love to hear your thoughts on on what this first um, solo, maybe the only solo episode, um, whether it worked, whether it didn't work, what we could do differently. Um, you can email us at uh, banthingshappen at gmail.com. Along with that, uh, you can easily find all of our uh, socials as well as support links at our website blah 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 media.com that's b l a h b l a h b l a h media um you can find links to our facebook pages you can find links to our uh our merch store which has got a bunch of charts and throw pillows and mugs and everything else some cool stuff there um, as well as links where you can support us at either patreon.com or at buy me a coffee. Um, both of those allow you to support us financially, either on a permanent basis or on a, sorry, a recurring basis at Patreon or on a one-time basis at buy me a coffee. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please, please, please support us. Um, there are, there are hard costs to running a podcast and it's out of our pocket, um, you know, the hosting and, and, and data usage and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it does come out of our pocket. Um, but, uh, you know, we enjoy what we're doing, so we don't mind paying for it. But if you, uh, if somebody wanted to help cover some of those costs, obviously we're not going to say no. 
Um, and, you know, obviously be advised if you buy us a coffee, it's probably going to go to a beer instead. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, once again, I want to wish all the best to my buddy Oren um, until he finds his way back here. Um, and uh, until then, and until you and I meet again, seems like now would be a good time to maybe go read a fucking book.